0: Well, good morning. Great to be with you here, and uh, yes, next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Hard to believe that uh, we're that far into the spring. That means it's April, and uh, it's great to have you here for a minute. I thought when Scott wasn't sure, he started talking about moms. thought maybe that it was Mother's Day. Where'd he go? I, but that is in May, uh, but uh, hopefully it'll be even warmer then. But Um, Hey, we also wanted to mention a couple of things Be be praying for uh, Pat and Helen Scarfo Um, We mentioned Pat's brother Joe last week to pray And Joe went home to be with the Lord on Tuesday So uh, be praying for Kate, his wife And of course Pat, Joe's brother in uh, in that loss And uh, uh, remember to be an encouragement to them. We also had another baby. If you haven't been down to the nursery, man, they got a tree or something that has like eggs coming on it. That thing is booming down there. All right. Wes and Stephanie Uffelman welcomed Dak into the world this past Wednesday, March 30th. He's still in the... uh, NICU which is the uh, intensive care for babies and be praying for them it's a oxygen level as I understand it so be praying for um, Wes and Stephanie and babies Dak as they hope to be home I'm sure soon now we are going to continue in our study on um, future events the last days and we i put together for you and they're out on the welcome center when you leave you can grab them if we run out we'll make more but uh it's uh, folded it's got uh on the front and then on the back an overview of future events with some scripture uh, so that you can follow along and check out um, the various events in their order and where you can read about them in scripture and then in the middle is a chart that uh, put together a pre-millennial scheme of uh, events actually came across this years ago Uh, It was a Moody Bible Institute thing and so hopefully that will be a help to you and it doesn't have every little detail that's on the other side but but you can see the big picture things and uh, find where they fit and hopefully gain a greater understanding so we started last week with this whole business of future events and uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 and that's why we're doing this because it is there where we have just completed in 1 Corinthians 15 if you have your Bibles uh, or tablets phones whatever you're using we'll have some of this on the screen verses 15-52 1 Corinthians 15 verses 15-52 and 52, that we can fill in for you and this is where it comes from, and this is what I wanted to read again for you, um, verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, uh, listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, the last, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The mystery is that there will be, here anyway, the mystery is that there will be uh, people still alive as believers, who when Jesus returns to this earth, not all believers will have died. And that was the mystery that Paul was talking about, thus as he moved into the whole business of of resurrected bodies, new perfect bodies, and that's what he's dealing with there in chapter 15. And of course, back to chapter 1, where we began our study in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says this, uh, Therefore do you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. So that's what Paul's talking about. And I believe in these two passages of Scripture, and we have mentioned some others, we'll review a couple of those that are, they are both references to the return of Jesus Christ for the church at the rapture. That's you and I, those who have been saved from the day the church began, the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, all the way up until the rapture, when Jesus comes back to take the church to heaven with him, all of us in that Gap are called the church believers those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and the rapture is for the church only it is not for Israel it is only for the church and we'll talk more about that as we move through here But uh, I believe these texts are both referring to Paul's addressing the return of Christ for the church at the rapture. Now, I thought I would put this up to you just so that you can see and check some of these things out a little bit later on. But our website, if we have our statement of faith, the church statement of faith, uh, we are... Uh, HBC.com, if you'll go, that is where the website is And when you go onto the website, you'll see some tabs across the top You click on the About Us, and then you'll see three drop-downs And there'll be one there that says Beliefs And when you then click on Beliefs, you'll go and you'll get a, uh, a brief Statement of that faith, which is the what we believe without all the scripture, And then you have an opportunity to click on another link that will take you to those statements with all of the scripture. And when we redid the Constitution uh, about eight, nine years ago, that was all adjusted and changed and updated. And so that would be, and that's just the the address if you want to go right to the statement of faith. Uh, that we are hbc.com slash article slash statement of faith, and that'll take you right there. But in that, and I wanted you to know that because sometimes we, we don't, well, how do we know what we believe? Well, we, we have it listed for you there on the website. It's in the church constitution, but our statement of faith is there so you can know exactly what it is we believe And Here's what we say about future events in our statement of faith. We believe that Christians are not destined for God's future earthly wrath known as the tribulation or 70th week of Daniel. And I'll mention that just a little bit later this morning. Uh, But secondly then, we affirm the pre-tribulational rapture of the church at Christ's imminent appearing. Followed by the judgment seat of Christ, we talked about that when we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Christ's pre-millennial return and reign on the earth in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant and the eternal state in the new heavens and the new earth. Now that statement, both of those slides, I mean there is just a ton of information there. And uh, so if you'll go online, you can look, there is scripture you can dig into to see why we say what we say and uh, how that all fits together. Now that means you still have to do some study and I want to help you again a little bit with that as we work through that um, today. So I would invite you to uh, find your place in your Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we'll be a little bit just before we get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at the first 11 verses, if you don't have a Bible want to hold a copy underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible there. In that Bible, page 825, page 825. So when it comes to what the Bible teaches on a particular topic, we as believers tend to find a position that we, I hope, is an informed decision, informed by the Bible, and we take that position, many times we grab hold of it emotionally. Now I want to make this point And we lock into what we believe. Sometimes that's what we were taught when we got saved. Sometimes that's what we were taught in a class somewhere or maybe Bible college or seminary or online or you read a book or whatever else it may be. We lock into that, but many times we don't take the time to dig in and understand what we say we believe. Um, or to learn enough more about it so that we can actually explain biblically what we believe and why we believe it. And we need to know both of those. Because there are people, especially when it comes to future events, who take different positions than a pre trib, pre mill position. You need to know what you believe. This is what we say when you joined the church, you signed. a a statement that said, I've read through the statement of faith and this is what I believe. And so, all right, do you really understand that? And do you know why you believe that? You said, well, the Bible says it. Okay, do you know where the Bible says it and how the Bible says it and how it all fits together? And that's what is important for us to know because what happens sometimes when people disagree with us, when other believers disagree with us, we all too easily respond emotionally. Sometimes we get anger. Right? We, we, we find ourselves not happy with the people that are saying, I take a different position than that. Or sometimes we can mock. And, and neither one of those are good, godly, biblical responses. We need to know what we believe and have a conversation. Folks, this day and age, people don't have conversations. There's that is like that that you either agree with me or I hate you. I mean I don't mean in the church. That's what our culture is, right? There's it's everything's polarized. If you're over here, it's like okay we can remember the statement we can agree to disagree. Not anymore. Uh, we can try to do that, but usually when you either agree with me or you're wrong. But that's where we are. We can't be that way biblically. We need to be understanding. Let's learn together. What does the Bible teach on these issues? Let's dig in and figure it out. And when it comes to future events, it's the same as any other issue in Scripture or topic that we study. We need to know. And just like we talked about uh, resurrection bodies and as we've talked about life after death and as we will get down the road here and we will to this whole business of uh, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? We talked about that. It addresses it in 1 Corinthians. We didn't dig into it too deeply then, so we want to. But how do we know? It's not how we feel. It's what the Bible says. And that's true with anything in our lives. And so, again, it's not my intention this morning or these couple of weeks to take, take you into a full-blown study of future events. That would be months. I mean, I'm just telling to really... Do it justice, it would be months to cover all of that. And, and we're touching on, th- as it relates to the book of 1 Corinthians, end times, future events, prophecy. But while we're here, I, I want you to be able to walk away with a big picture understanding of where we are what does pre-trib pre mill mean pre-tribulational return of christ the pre-millennial return what does that mean we we need to have that big picture understanding so that's where we are and yet again it's not just for information not just so we have the facts so that we know more or can answer the hard questions it's about it's life-changing and we'll talk more, we'll end that way today as we talk about that. So you have your place there in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, but if you back up a few verses to chapter 4, uh, we have been here, I, I won't take the time to dig into this again, but in First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 through 18, Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive. The Thessalonians weren't sure what had happened to those who died who knew Jesus, but later on we get into chapter 5 and it's not, well, what about the living people? And, And we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we'll be with the Lord forever. Encourage one another with these words. These truths about future events, end times ought to be an encouragement to you and I. Ought to be. Not just facts, ought ought to change the way we live today until Jesus comes again. I'll say more about that. Now, as we talk about this, we said that's very similar to what I just read for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's also the same type of thing that Jesus taught in John fourteen during the Passion Week, the week between Palm Sunday and Easter, and He taught the disciples that in John chapters three or fourteen, verses one to three. Jesus said do not let your hearts be troubled You believe in God Believe also in me My father's house has many rooms If that were not so Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare A place for you Would I have said that if that wasn't true Verse 3 And if I go and prepare a place for you I will come back And take you to be with me That you also may be where I am The rapture Again 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, John chapter 14. Now, the word rapture isn't in any one of those texts. The word that we use for rapture was the word in 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 17, uh, or chapter 4 and verse 17, where we're caught up. We mentioned to you last week that Uh, uh, Jerome, a historian back in the 4th century Translated the Greek New Testament into Latin And came the word raptura Which is for caught up That's the word we use for rapture Which simply means to snatch To seize To take suddenly The catching up The snatching out of this world Of the church By Jesus As we meet him in the air That's what we've been reading And again The rapture is only about the church. It is not about Israel. When we read about the promises to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, when we talk about the Davidic covenant, when we talk about the new covenant, those things are yet to be fulfilled, we believe, in the nation of Israel. And we always must make sure we keep a very clear distinction between Israel and the church, two different entities. We'll leave it at that. We talked about the rapture. It has to do with the resurrection of the dead. That's what Paul read. But it also has to do with the transformation of the living. Those of us who know Jesus, who are alive when he returns at the rapture, we will also be changed. That's the mystery. That Paul was talking about when he read it or stated that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So when does the rapture occur? That's always the issue. You say, all right, I get that. And so we say in our statement, we said before the tribulation. And we talked last week, and I'm not going to go back over those uh, there are five views, typically five main views on the on the tribulation. When does Jesus come back again? When is the rapture? The rapture is typically the timing of it is based on what you believe the Bible teaches about the tribulation. So we find out, we said that there are five different positions. That there, One would say that Jesus comes to take the church in the middle of the tribulation, the mid-trib. The post-trib would be at the very end of the tribulation. The partial rapture would happen at the pre-tribulation, but then more again somewhere in the rapture. So maybe multiple raptures. That's the partial rapture theory. The pre-wrath says it's at about... Mm, five and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, whereas the mid-trib would be at the three-and-a-half-year point. And then where we are, the pre-trib rapture position, the church will be raptured before the seven years of tribulation. Tribulation begins, we're told in Scripture, when the Antichrist signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. Folks, when you hear today peace talked about in the Middle East, It won't be the last time because the Antichrist, when he comes into power and position after the church, we believe, is raptured from this earth, he will, and it might not be the next day after the rapture, but there will be a period of time somewhere in there that the Antichrist will be ready to go. He will sign a peace treaty with Israel. And so when you hear about peace talks in Israel, listen, or throughout the Middle East, it's a big deal. Because the Bible talks about that, and it's going to happen. There will be a treaty that will be signed. So that's where we are. So why do we take the pre-tribulational rapture? When you've got four others that have all good points to them, and, and when, when it really boils down to it, I believe, and so that's why our church, and not because I that was here before I started here, but... But our church's position, we believe that the Bible best puts all of the truths together to come up with and say we believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. So let me share with you some some reasons as to why. Because I think it's important that we grab hold of that and that we can talk intelligently, not just say, well, because I can read 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and John chapter 14. Well, what about when somebody questions you and has a different position and explains those passages in a way that isn't the way we would understand that? What do you do? Well, we've got to be able to understand. So number one, why do we take the pre-tribulational rapture position? Because first of all, the church is not mentioned in Revelation chapter six through 19 as being in the tribulation. We all know At least that revelation has to do with the end times, right? All kinds of prophecy there. Well, when you begin to study through the book of Revelation, you will find out that the first three chapters, in those first three chapters, 19 times, the word that we typically use for church, ekklesia, you've maybe heard that. Ekklesia is the Greek word for church, the common word in the New Testament that we use. The first three chapters... Nineteen times the word for church is used. That's where you have Paul's seven letters to the seven churches. Seven real churches in Asia Minor during the first century. Revelation was probably written about 95 AD. And so Paul writes that as he writes those seven churches. It's nineteen times. That word for church is not used again till Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16. Revelation chapter 6 to 19 is all about the tribulation. That's when you read through that, that's what it's about. And if the church were to be part of that tribulation on the earth, you would think the word church would be mentioned. It is not. Significant quiet and absence of that term from the book of Revelation in those, in those chapters, chapters 4 through 19. And uh, so we would say, and, and, and one of the uh, texts, if you would read it, th- that Daniel's 70th week, it was in our church f- statement of faith. Daniel's 70th week, which is a, another term for the tribulation, that is what you read about in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. Again, no mention of the church. One writer said it this way, the absence is arresting and unexplainable if the church is supposed to be on the earth during the tribulation, as some would maintain. But we don't. And this is one of the reasons why. I have this quote um, from a book entitled Christ's Prophetic Plans by Richard Mayhew. He says, Thus it seems to be highly inconsistent and incorrect to argue that the church was absent from the first 69 weeks of Daniel but is present in the 70th week of Daniel. When you want to read about the 70 weeks of Daniel, and again, this is why a whole study on future events would take us a long time, because we'd have to go back and look at Daniel. If you want to look at Daniel chapter 9, you can see Daniel's 70 weeks are talked about. All of those, the first 69 weeks are done. They've been fulfilled. There's scripture that tells you what happened. There's a 70th week left. The first 69 weeks had to do with Israel. Why do we think that the 70th would not also have to do with Israel? And there's a gap. The gap between week 69 and 70 is the church. That's where we find ourselves. And and I'm going to leave it at that for now. But as we talk about that, if that wasn't the case... The church would be mentioned in Revelation 6 to 19, it is not. So it would appear that there is strong evidence that the church will not be part of the tribulation or the outpouring of God's wrath on the wickedness of those on the earth at that time. Wow, I know, that's a lot of information, right? But hold on. So secondly, why do we believe then a pre-trib position? The church is not mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 to 19, which is talking about the tribulation or Daniel's 70th week. Secondly, because the rapture um, rescues the church from the wrath to come. We are told in Scripture that we as believers will be spared from wrath, from tribulation. Now, some who don't take that position, when they hear us explain that, say, oh, you're escapists. You just don't want to be around for the difficult times of tribulation. Well, no, I don't. I'm glad I'm not. <laughs> Hard to call it the blessed hope if that's the case, but that's not just why. I mean, if that's the way God planned it, okay. It's not whether I like it or not. It's what God says. But as we study through that, no, we do not believe that believers don't have Difficult times, don't have trials, don't have sufferings, don't have persecutions. If you want to just look at some scriptures, uh, John chapter 16 and verse 33, do you remember the disciples came to Jesus and they were saying, Man, we're having a hard time here? And Jesus said, Listen, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they persecuted me as Jesus your Savior, they're going to persecute the followers of Jesus too. And so it's there. Well, we Acts chapter fourteen verse twenty two. If you want to write that down, check that out. Second Timothy chapter three and verse twelve. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But when we talk about this, we, tribulation, we're talking about the difference between tribulation on this earth and the tribulation that the Bible talks about is a time of God's wrath on the wickedness of this world. This does not include the church. There is no more warning whatsoever to the church that we need to be concerned about going through the tribulation. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, now that's where we started, I asked you to open your Bibles there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and, and let's look at the first few, few verses here. Paul talks about, he says, now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. Now, brothers and sisters, that could be translated, some of your Bibles may have now as two The times and dates Or now concerning brothers and sisters The times and dates There's a changing of subject We could go back into the book of 1 Corinthians And see when Paul uses that now about That he's changing topics He's he's done with what he was talking about Now he's going to deal with something different Okay so verses 13 to 18 Of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Right, We're on chapter 5 here Chapter 4, he finished talking about the rapture. Now about times and dates. What's he talking about now? Well, let's go on. He goes, now about the times and dates we do not need to write to you. Who is he talking to? The church. The church in Thessalonica. He's talking to believers. He says, verse 2, for you, you the church, know very well at the day of the Lord. There will come like a thief in the night. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord is the beginning of the rapture. Excuse me, tribulation. When the tribulation begins, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord goes on through the tribulation, on through the second coming of Christ, on into the millennium. But when you see the term, the day of the Lord, it begins after the church is raptured the beginning of the tribulation. So he's talking now about the day of the Lord. He says to you as believers, you know very well that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Look at verse 3. And I want you to notice the pronouns change. Now, while people, while they, is one translation would say, it, while they are saying, it's no longer talking about you. He's no longer talking about they, the church. He says, while people, while they are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Who won't escape? He's not talking to the church. He changed pronouns. He started out talking to the church, you, but now he says as he's talking about the day of the Lord, when that happens, people will say peace and safety, destruction will come on them, not the church. All right, does that make sense? Now, go, let's go on as we go, as we go down to verse four. But you, uh, he goes back to the church. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We, we, the church, belong to the night, uh, do not belong to the night or to the darkness, that of the wrath of God during the tribulation so as we think about that the significant change of pronouns we're tell Paul's talking about the believers the church and he's talking about those who don't know Jesus who aren't part of the church who will experience the day of the Lord during the tribulation and then he gets down to verse 9 of this passage in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to read salvation Receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now some would say, well, that's the wrath of hell. That's where unsaved people go. Yes, that's true, but not in the context. What's the context? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about the wrath that comes as a result of that. He's not talking about salvation and those who don't respond by faith in Jesus Christ who will go to hell. That is true, but that's not what's happening here in the context. And so when he says, God did not appoint us, who's us? There's that pronoun again, us, the church, to suffer wrath. What wrath? The wrath he's talking about that's going to be poured on the earth during the day of the Lord, the tribulation. Why? Because we won't be there. We'll be saved through it. Does that make sense? I hope so. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Revelation chapter 3, same thing here. uh, John says this Since you have kept my command to endure patiently And this is one of Paul's letters To the seven churches In uh, Asia Minor He says I will also keep you Who's he talking? You, the church From the hour of trial That is going to come on the whole world To test the inhabitants of the earth So he says I am going to keep you From the hour of trial Uh, uh, Now When I'm not going to give you a Greek lesson It probably wouldn't be a very good one if I tried But but the idea here when you see keep you from That word from could be interpreted a couple different ways I could keep you from the wrath of God By just protecting you Much like God protected the nation of Israel During the plagues in Egypt Remember the ten plagues That came on the Egyptians right They didn't touch the nation of Israel Yes, okay, that's, and so some would say, well, that's how God could protect. They could be there, but God could protect them from the wrath of God by, like he did uh, the nation of Israel during the plagues in Egypt. Or we could say, I will keep you from, by keeping you out of, taking you out of that trial. You say, well, how do we know the difference? Well, you've always got to study the context and you can check those things out. And how is that word can be used? Well, if we would go to John chapter 15 and verse 17, we would find, or excuse me, John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus' great priestly prayer to his father, The night before he went to the cross, when Jesus was praying for us, the church, he said, my prayer in John 17, 15, is not that you take them, us, the believers, the church, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one, out from the evil one, out of. Jesus says, don't take them to heaven, don't take them out of the world, but take care of the men. Well, that out of is the exact same out of in First um, uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. In other words, the out of there, which means, I believe, because it means the same thing here. Those are the only two times it's used that way. That if Jesus was saying, don't take them out of the world, literally meaning physically pulling them out, that's how, that's not what I want you to do with the church. In other words, we may think at times as believers, we get saved, wouldn't it be great that that we just go home to heaven right away? It doesn't work that way. Jesus was saying, I'm not praying, Father, that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one in the world. But when he was saying, "Don't take them out," he was saying, "Remove them from the Earth." Are you with me? Do you see that? Back to Revelation chapter three and verse 10. if you can give me that. Revelation one, one back, that you keep them from same out of." The only thing that John meant there was that Jesus would take us out from that wrath. I think that's pretty clear. And then he says, the hour, keep you from the hour of trial. In other words, keep you from the actual tribulation, the time period of the wrath of God. Not just an hour, not just a little bit of wrath here or there or trial here and there. No, the tribulation is going to be a pouring out of God's wrath on the whole world for those seven years. It gets worse at this half year point but as we look at it here he's talking about the hour of trial he's talking about that whole time period of the tribulation so we take that pre tribratcher position because we believe here is another verse that would strongly indicate that we as believers are taken out of the hour of trial or temptation or the tribulation Thirdly, the rapture and return are significantly different, and I'm just going to mention this briefly, and you can dig through your Bibles and look, and if you will study, as we mentioned, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, John chapter 14, 1 John chapter 3, uh, Look at those and then look at Revelation verse chapters 6 through 19, which is the second coming, which is the return of Christ, not the rapture. Those other passages are the rapture and start to compare. But here's the point. The rapture and the return or the second coming are significantly different in Scripture. When you read about the rapture, there are totally different descriptions about the rapture than there are about the second coming of Christ or what we would call the return of Christ at the end of the rapture. And in fact, there are no signs, as we've said, nothing has to be fulfilled in order for the rapture to take place. You read through Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which is about the coming tribulation, and there are all kinds of promises of things that have to happen before the second coming, the return of Christ can take place. There's two differences right there. So, which is it? Well, there's two different events: the rapture, the return of the second coming of Christ. I mean, at the rapture, believers meet Christ in the air. At the second coming or the return of Christ, Christ descends to the earth to the man of olives. At the rapture, believer or Jesus comes for believers. At the return, he comes with the believers. And you, you can study that and see the difference. At the rapture, we're told that it will be in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You won't even see it. It'll happen. We'll be gone. At the, at the return, the second coming of Christ, it'll be visible to the world. You read about how Jesus comes again at the second coming. It's not in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It is a, a quiet thing that nobody sees. It's wow. It's better than any uh, Hollywood movie production could be, right? At the rapture, Christ gathers his own. At the return, angels gather the elect. Those would be those believers who are left on the earth at the end of the tribulation and make it into the millennium. At the rapture, the Lord comes to reward and bless his people. At the second coming or the return, he comes to judge unbelievers. At the rapture, uh, the resurrection is prominent. At the the return or the second coming, there's no mention whatsoever of a resurrection. After the rapture, the tribulation begins. After the second coming or the return, the millennium begins. Folks, there's so many differences between the two events. There's got to be two events. And then lastly, and we're done, the rapture is imminent. The rapture is imminent. We said that means any moment, Without warning, definitely coming, and it is certain that it will come. The timing is uncertain. It might be soon, it might not be. I was thinking about that term, soon. When we say the return of Jesus is soon, right? Think about how we use the word soon. Man, it'll soon be summer, won't it? How far away is that? Well, that's a really good question. We know what June 20 or 21 is. That's supposedly when summer starts, right? But this is Northeastern Pennsylvania. So we don't know when summer will come, despite what the calendar says, right? So that's soon, right? We could say, man, once school's out, it'll be real soon that it starts all over again. Huh? When's that? Well, September. So when we talk about the return of the Lord being soon, I, you know, the more I've thought about it this week, I thought, I'm not sure I want to say it's soon. I know Paul says in Romans it's sooner now than when we first believed, but at least he has a comparative point. I think we need to recognize it's not about soon. It could happen before lunch today. We said that last week. If you want to call that soon, okay, but when we say soon, we don't mean it lunchtime. Be careful with the soon. Just make sure you understand he could come today. Amen. Before lunch. Amen, Joe. Before supper. Before you go to bed tonight. Before the national championship NCAA men's basketball. Tomorrow night. There may not be a champion because Jesus may come first. Amen. That's the imminence any moment return of jesus christ and when you read through scriptures like we've read through already first thessalonians 4 first corinthians 15 john chapter 14 first john chapter 3 the writers paul john they are ready for jesus to come now not soon now say what difference does it make well let me close with this verse 2nd Peter chapter 3 if you want to look at it I've got a couple of those verses on the screen but 2nd Peter chapter 3 starting at verse 10 Peter says the day of the Lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare is that the, is that the rapture Is that the rapture? Everybody's afraid to go. Um, Are you trying to trick us? It's not the rapture. It's not the rapture. All right. So you say, well, if the rapture could happen at any moment, why are we talking about this? I'll tell you. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation to those who would believe, is what he's saying. So let me put it this way. So if you've students, and those of you who were students, that's like everybody, right? you get to this point in the school year, whether you're, whatever level you're at, if you're at an older level, you begin to think about your grades, what's my report card going to look like or what's my GPA going to be? Okay, so at this point in time, you realize that the end of the school year is soon. So I, I better get on with it. It doesn't mean that it's going to end tomorrow. We know when that, right? But what we need to realize is I have a limited amount of time to, to get my grades up before it'll be too late. What Peter is saying, we know what's at the end of time. We know that the earth is gonna be burned up and as he says there in, in verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear. And, and we said the day of the Lord begins at the rapture, but it goes all the way through the tribulation, it goes through the second coming, it goes through the millennium. And the day of the Lord ultimately is going to go all the way up into the great white throne judgment and after that the earth is going to be burned up, destroyed and he will create and God will create a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So he's saying knowing what's at the end, how should we live now? That's his point. We need to live as he says there, holy and godly lives, making every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Folks, that's the whole point. Jesus is coming again. Peter says there in, in, in verse 15 or 16 that uh, he's being patient. He already said that earlier. If you'll go back and read the Lord's patience isn't like man's patience, he's, he's waiting, he's giving people a chance to repent and, and that's what we need to be concerned about, taking the opportunity to share Christ, preach, proclaim, live the gospel so the people see the truth because without it, they're on their way to hell. So the whole point of all of this end time stuff is Jesus is coming again And people who do not know Christ as Savior are under the wrath of God and will pay eternally in hell. With that being true, how should we live? How should that affect us? Man, we ought to be awake and ready because Jesus could come by lunch today. Father, thank you. for what, you, what truth you give us to understand that you're coming back. God, we, we, we want to know what you teach. We want to know your word and understand it so that we can live in a way that's holy and godly and pleasing to you because this old world's going to end one day. We need to make the most of the time you've given us until Jesus comes again. Father, I pray that if there are any here today who don't know Jesus, that you'd open their hearts, cause them to see their sin and that Jesus died for them, took their place on the cross, shed his blood, gave his life, was buried and rose again from the dead proving he was who he said he was, the Son of God, our Savior, our Messiah, the forgiver of our sins. God, help us who know Jesus, who know that truth, to live in a way that demonstrates that we do believe that and to declare that truth to those who need Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.